I want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of Shelf Indulgence. Good evening and welcome to tonight's episode of Shelf Indulgence. So today we're going to have a very first Desert Island Library. Right, so Desert Island Libraries. We may have uh, filched this idea slightly. Um, You might be aware of a similar programme that has a Desert Island theme uh, to do with music. Well, we're we're not taking any music. Um, I suppose you could if you wanted to. But we're focusing on the books we would take with us. And we're going to take a bigger selection of books. Because when I've listened to that other programme, I've often thought to myself, I'd be terrible being able to only have those books. Nowhere near enough books. So we are going to restrict the people we interview on this programme to only bringing 10 books with them, which whittling down your favourite books to 10 only when you're a book fanatic like we are, is our first Desert Island castaway. And it looks like you are here, right? Yes, yeah, the weather's fabulous. A little bit windy. I hope my hair stays okay. Fantastic. Right. (laughs) Now, could you, before we get too much into your books, Wendy, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Wendy Garkars? So um, I was born and bred and born and brought up in Warsaw and um, in the black country and uh, from a family who were black country born and bred. Um, and I had a very normal childhood. You know, dad was a bus driver. Mum worked as a leather worker. Um, and from an early age, I was always a reader. Um, I, I, it was something that um, I was always passionate about right from when I was a little girl and I remember you know being so excited the day my mum took me to Bloxridge Library to sign up for my first library card and um, and so I've always been a reader and um, and I used to write stories and make stories up as well and um, it's just always been part of my upbringing. Um, when I left school I uh, went to um, the co-op to do an apprenticeship and trained as a florist but very quickly needed to broaden my world and decided that I would go into sales and actually became a sales trainer for uh, TNT, the big freight company. And then my my career progressed and I worked for the health service, um, again, in a training and development role. And I've always been passionate about personal development and um, giving people opportunities because I was born in an era where my career's advice when I was at school, I went to TP Riley School, and when I was at uh, in Bloxwich, when I was at school, the career's advice um, was, um, well, you, you'll either work in a shop um, or if you were incredibly intelligent, you went off to become a teacher. Um, but those are the only two options, really. Um, and, and we were told not to worry too much because you were a girl. And so you'd end up getting married and having. And so it wasn't really important for you. And it was really strange because I that was just not me. I, that didn't sit right for me. And I always felt that I was a very inquisitive person. And I was always, I just loved learning things, anything. It didn't matter what. I just loved learning things. And that's carried me right through. And so my reading habits are very broad so i read uh, fiction and non I, i've um, done a huge amount of reading in personal development um self-improvement books business books and i've i've written and published six business books um so uh, um, it's not just it's not just a, a novel for me um 
for me, any reading should provide you with some new information, an opportunity to learn. And I think you can learn the, the, the fiction books that I love are the ones that I learn something new from. So, um, so yeah, that's me, Rayla. Um, and I work for myself now. Um, I, I run a training and development consultancy. So I work with public sector organisations and stuff. So I'm really, Jim, uh, uh, genuinely, I feel like I ought to go into a room and say, my name's Wendy Garcars and I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah, and that, that's a great thing. Learning all your life is an important thing to do. Um, but also, the thing you've not mentioned there is you are now a published author as I'm well. I'm a published author of fiction now, yes. I yeah. had my first book published uh, not last year, that it was the tail end of the year, before, yeah. um, so 2020, called uh, Keeping Secrets. And those are published under my maiden name, Wendy Charlton, because I wanted to keep my fiction and non-fiction separate. Um, and I'm just in the process of finishing um, the sequel to that, which will be called Hidden Secrets. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and, then, and I have to say, I, I think for lots and lots of avid readers, um, writing is just a natural extension. Yeah. Lots, you know, it's just something that you do. If you have a passion for literature, um, you are more likely, I think, to to sort of ease your way into writing something. And whether that's short stories or whether it's fiction or whether it's um, or whether you, you're going to enter into that epic novel, um, I, I, it's a natural progression. I don't know of any author who isn't really well read. Yeah, superb. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. So on to your Desert Island Library. And I, I set you the hideous task of whittling down favourite books to a mere number of 10. Um, so tell me, uh, and by all means, you know, we can end with your favourite book and start with you know, maybe your least favourite out of these 10. Although I'm sure trying to rank them amongst 10 would be a difficult job. But anyway, what's the first book you're taking with you, Andy? And the why? first book I'm taking with me is um, my childhood favourite. So my childhood favourite is a book called Bedknob and Broomstick by Mary North. Oh, what a it's classic. Just absolutely phenomenal. It's my favourite children's book, and it's about um, three children, Carrie, Charles and Paul, who find themselves uh, living with an elderly spinster, Miss Price. Um, and they come across, the first time they come across her is um, that she's injured, she's hurt her ankle because she's fell off her broomstick. And um, the story then is about magic and their exposure. To um, but these kids are wise kids, you know, they're, they're street wise. And so they extract an, um, a, a deal from her that in order to keep her secret, because this lady lives in a, in, in a village um, and they don't, she doesn't want everybody to know that she's a, a practising witch, and so um, for their silence, she enchants a, a bed knob for them. Um, and this bed knob will carry them wherever they want to go, wherever they want to go. And the story really is about their adventures. Um, and there are, I think that the reason I've chosen this book is that, um, as I say, I do a lot of self-improvement and um, personal development stuff. One of the things that I do, particularly if I'm in a stressful time, is I do meditation. And when you do meditation, you have to pick a place that is your happy place that you go to when you're meditating. My happy place comes directly from me. So there is a scene in the book where she lands the bed on a, on a tropical island. And the description... Naboo? Of place, yes, Naboo. 
Um, the uh, the description of this place is just fabulous. And when I first read the book um, about the children and, and the way they go to Miss Price's and, and stuff, um, it brings back a memory that I have of when I was very little and I had to stay at my granny's. My mum was taken into hospital and I had to stay at my granny's. Um, and the bed and the room and the era were like a mirror image of, of that time. And in the same way, the description that she gives of um, of this tropical island um, becomes uh, has become my, my safe place. And she talks about this horseshoe-shaped bay and the noise that the waves make as they crash onto the beach and the way that the sand creates a crust that breaks between your toes when you stand on it. It is such a fabulous descriptive book. And it if you're a child and you're reading it, it transports you to a place that you can only dream of. Um, and that happened to me with this book. And I just absolutely... Plus the fact that the underlying message of this book is that it's that ordinary people can do extraordinary things and so absolutely it's, it is my favorite choice do you know i'm gonna have to go and read it now <laughs> i'm fam i'm familiar with the story from the disney film version yeah. um and your brilliantly classed as a casting yes. price yeah. um but yes one of mary norton's lesser known works because she's obviously much more famous for the borrowers yes she is yes, yes. But uh, no, I do do love Mary Norton, so I'm gonna have to go away and read that now. It's, so, it's anyway. a fabulous book. Yeah, uh, and what an excellent first choice! And maybe the desert island that we are casting you away on is Naboo. I think it should be Naboo. Oh, I think it should as well. Yeah, superb. Well, thank you. What a great first book in our library, the desert island. So, what would your second book be? So my second book, anybody that watches the show and from previous shows that we've done knows that I'm an absolute mad Agatha Christie fan. Um, and can you imagine just the difficulty of trying to come up with my favourite Agatha Christie book for this show? was nightmarish because I just, it, there were, I just didn't know where to start. Um, but I've chosen this one because for me, um, this is without a shadow of a doubt it is her finest crafty plot and it is a book called and then there were none oh yes it's a fabulous fabulous plot but what lots of people don't know it is the world's best-selling murder mystery mm. from any author right across the board in that genre it is the world's best-selling murder mystery um and the the story is based on eight people who arrive on a small isolated island. Can you see the theme? There's a theme here. When you like desert <laughs> islands. <laughs> um, and this island's off the Devon coast and they all arrive um, at, at, for having had a very personal invitation, which is encourage them to, to come to this place. Um, and they're met by a butler and a housekeeper, cook and housekeeper, Thomas and Ethel Rogers. Um, and they explain that their hosts, who are hosting this event, this house party, as it were, uh, are Ulrich Norman Owen and Una Nancy Owen, which, if you just look at the initials, actually spell out unknown. So the two unknowns have invited these people. Um, and so they get settled in and they start to have, um, they, they get shown up to their rooms. And in each of the rooms on the wall, 
is a framed copy of an old rhyme um and it's about 10 little soldier boys um and it it gives a a history of of actually how they their number become depleted one by one and um and so this uh they have supper together they don't know each other so they can't understand what's brought them here um but when they have supper together after supper the um the uh, butler plays a record which um has been pre-recorded and the recording accuses each of the visitors that are there of having committed a murder and so it, it, the the final line of the recording is um prisoners at the bar do you wish to offer a defense and the whole idea is that they each have this secret in their lives um, and they are being held accountable at this at this party and of course as you can expect by by agatha christie standards as time moves on and the plot moves on they start dropping like flies um and it is a very it's a fiendishly clever plot because you have no idea you think that they're on this island they're they're deserted they're the only people on the island um and so who is doing the popping off it's very difficult to try and gauge who is the murderer um, and you don't know until the very end um and it comes as a complete not a shock when it when she reveals but do you know what i would i would defy anybody if you go back and read this book the trail of breadcrumbs is absolutely there very evident it's very very clear um and you've missed it she has managed to distract you time and time and time again um and you've missed all of the clues and you she's pulled you into this plot and you've end up not you know, being surprised by the twist at the end, and even though those breadcrumbs are there, she is masterful at doing that. Yeah. I don't know anybody better, and for me, this is her finest example. Absolutely. Yes, I would agree. It is, it is without a doubt, her best work. Um, possibly, if I would think of my favourite Agatha, it would either be that, or I'm always drawn back to Murder on the Orient Express because it was the first one I ever read. Mm. And and that's another fiendish plot, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of what what you yeah. what how it starts off and what it ends up being. Yeah. It's very difficult to predict. No. And yet if you go back, the breadcrumbs tell you. Yeah. And I knew I knew they'd be an Agatha amongst your ten. Yeah. Because there's no way you couldn't take an Agatha. No. no, she is she's such a powerhouse of an author. Yeah. And the sheer volume of what she churned out. Oh, absolutely. And then when you look then at her life as well, mm. you know, what what a woman. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, she in it and, and all of that at a time when women were not expected to have a career, they were not expected to, to make money in the way that she did. I mean, she she really um created a genre, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and she similar... became masterful at it, didn't she? Yeah. And in a similar way. As you were saying about your childhood school experience of being told, oh, I don't really matter, it's not careers aren't for you. You know, it, it's the same thing Agatha was told, and she too booked the trend. Yeah, absolutely. So I can I can understand you being inspired by her. Do you find yourself when you're writing trying to emulate her at all? Um, oh god, I wish. I wish I had that level of of skill and that the brain, the analytic 
and logical brain that does all of the critical reasoning to get to the end point where her plots are. I can only dream of doing that. I mean, she is the queen of, of without a shadow of a doubt, with murder mystery. Um, but I think it, it was in her character because this is a woman who was fearless. You know, she was she was travelling on her own, going to places like Iran and Iraq and, and, and Egypt and doing, watching archaeological digs. Yeah. You know, when there weren't the sort of comforts of travel that we have nowadays, um, and the dangers were, were much greater for a woman travelling on her own, and she didn't let that stop her. She went and did it anyway. Yeah. And I think part of her plotting and her writing comes from that bravery. Definitely. Superb, thank you. So your third book then, Wendy, what are you bringing as your third offering? So my third offering is um, is a Terry Pratchett book. Um, <laughs> and it's Feet of Clay. And this is a book where um, in Discworld, uh, there are creatures called golems, which are, um, which are clay-made monsters, essentially. And 12 of the city golems, these clay creatures, um, get together and decide they are going to create a king. So they build a golem from pieces of themselves, from their own clay. Um, and they um, they have to put his instructions in his head, so they write them on his head, and then he gets baked, essentially. Um, and uh, and the story is about, um, about that. But the, the style of the story is it's very, it's very um, sort of, uh, film noir and there is um, there is a gumption in this who is a dwarf called um, uh, I think it's Cheery Lightbottom yes. um, and she is the gumshoe and the foil to the um, captain of the watch and um, and they they have to go along and they have to do the old thing about you know taking photographs of the crime scene and the reason I've chosen this book without a shadow of a doubt is it's the first one that I ever caught myself laughing out loud to so I used to go from Warsaw to Bern when I worked in Birmingham and so I used to read a lot on the train and I had to stop reading this book on the train because I was just laughing out loud to the point where people would stop and stare at me and I just I couldn't help myself. I, I'm, I'm almost laughing now remembering the bit with the photography vampire. That's it. That's absolutely it. Yeah. Um, where he uses a flash photography and every time the flash goes off, he faints. Um, I mean, just, you know, the, the beauty of Terry Pratchett is um, his writing of parody is unparalleled. I just think he's masterful. He's got a wicked sense of humour. But he is a master of punnery. Mm. The, every book you read is teeming with puns and that's why you can read him so often because you can read a book of these five or six times and oh. you still pick up puns but you miss the first five times you read it um absolutely brilliant um so laugh out loud stuff but i have to i'm going to share with you my favorite joke of all time from from terry Brown. There's a scene where the um, Cheery is having to go and uh, look at a dead body, and uh, she's, she's got a camera, and she's uh, and the cameras in Discworld are little boxes, 
and they have imps inside who do, they look through the window, they paint the picture and they shove it through the slots. So what you're getting is a little painted portrait of what they can say. And um, she's saying, she says to the little thing, but I, I need to pick a picture, I need to take a picture of, of his eye because she believes that the image of the murderer will be imprinted because it was the last thing that he saw. So she says to the little imp, um, can you take a close-up of the eye? So he looks out of the window and paints the picture and he shoves it out the slot and she says, well, yeah, that's great. She brought, I want to, I want it even more close-up. So he, he adjusts the window and he looks at it and he paints the picture and he shoves it out the slot. And she says, well, yeah, that, that's much better, but I just want a picture of the, the pupil, really. I want you to focus on the picture of the pupil. So he, he adjusts the window, paints the picture and shoves it out the slot. And um, she says, yes, that's it, that's fantastic. And the little door opens and the imp pops up and he says, well, thank God for that. I'd run out of black. <laughs> now, when you're saying it like that, on, it doesn't sound that funny. No. I was reading that on a train and honestly, I almost passed out because I couldn't get enough oxygen in. I was laughing that hard. And, and people who don't get him don't get why you find no. it funny at all. So yeah, that's why I've had to choose feet of play. Um, and of course, I, I, he's, he's my claim to fame because I, I actually met the man. Uh, it's something I am thoroughly envious of. I mean, he he has got to be one of the greatest authors of all time. In yeah. in in the same way that Agatha mastered her genre, you know, Terry mastered what he did. Without it, you know, like you say, the art of parody and spoof and it's it's that it's the way that and it, I've always said as the disc world evolved and he went further with it. It went from the farcical parody that we had at the very beginning of the disc world through to an almost very analytical parody. Oh, without a doubt. And, yeah. and some of the stuff became it became much darker. Yes. Um, it became much more satirised, you know. I mean, if you look at veterinary, uh, yeah. Lord Veterinary, um, I mean, pick any politician and, and, and hang him on, you know, you can yeah. hang him around that, can't you? Um, absolutely brilliant. And I had a lovely quote about Terry Pratchett. He's that he was the funniest angry man that Neil <laughs> Gaiman ever came across and that he, uh, he postulated that a lot of his humour was actually, uh, it was, it, it originated from anger and frustration about the world around him. Yeah. Superb. Well, I'm glad there's a Terry Pratchett in the library. Yeah. I really am. So your fourth book, Wendy. So my fourth book. Now, this one, I don't know whether you've come across this, but um, this is a non-fiction book. There's a couple of non-fiction books on my list, um, and this is the first one. And it's a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. I don't know whether you're familiar with this I'm book. familiar with Susan Jeffers. Okay. So Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway is a very dynamic and inspirational self-help um, because it's filled with practical techniques. I mean, things that you can just pick up and start doing that turn people from being passive into assertive. So uh, I've used it. I came to this book right at the beginning of my managerial career. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've used it with people I've coached or that I've worked with in teams and stuff. Um, and it is truly life-changing. If people come to it at the right time, it changes the way they see themselves. And, and why I've included this is um, that it really mirrors 
a sort of um, a mantra that I would use uh, for my life generally, um, which is um, the only things that limit you as a person are the barriers that you build yourself. Yeah. And this book shows you and helps you to recognise what those barriers are, but then gives you some really practical techniques about how to get rid of them and how to manage them. Um, and it really is, a, it's a fabulous book. It's a very liberating book. Um, so I couldn't really not include it. Superb. And do you find, when you find yourself drawn to non-fiction, is it to that genre in particular, to the self-help? Yeah, it, it tends to be. I'm not, um, I have read autobiographies, but I'm not a massive fan of them. Um, I've, I've read a couple, um, I, no, I've probably read, I've only probably read about 10. Um, it's not, a, a, I don't, a, I don't get a lot of pleasure from them. So I'm, I carefully choose the ones that I've, that I've read. Um, but this sort of book, I, I think is applicable for everybody mm. and, and everybody can take something. And I don't get that with, autobiography um i do read other non-fiction so i read stuff around history and stuff. um but that i only I'm, I'm selective about the non but this is a genre that i would always go to and have a trawl through and see if there's anything superb so that brings us to your fifth book for the library wendy yes my fifth book is uh, the <coughs> code by Dan Brown. Um, and this is probably the most exciting mystery thriller. It's got fantastic pace. Um, and it's a grail quest, essentially. It's it's um, looking for the holy grail. It's got secret societies, conspiracy, fantastic puzzles to solve. Um, it's got hidden meanings, things that aren't what they always appear to be. Um, all of the ingredients of a really good um, action thriller. Um, but one of the reasons I like it is that it's a bit like, it's a bit like Famous Five for grown-ups. You know, when you read Famous Five, you were dragged through the plot screaming and yeah. And it was that fast paced stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's absolutely the case um, for for this book. Um, and lots of people are quite sniffy about Dan Brown. I think he's very commercial, aren't um, But for me, this is a favourite book because I just think, um, I, and I did a course when I first decided I was going to become, I was going to have a go at, at writing. And I had an opportunity to do an online course with, with Dan Brown. Um, and he was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal and i learned so much from doing that so um so yeah he's a favorite of mine right? good and, and you know i mean it would be a boring world if we all like the same thing for sure and i think yes that dan brown is certainly somebody who divides opinion when it comes to books but uh i mean i've read a lot of dan brown um and they are good enjoyable reads mm. not by any means, in my judge, what I would consider highbrow literature, uh, and certainly I guessed the ending of the Vinci Code before I got to it. Um, but like you say, it's that it's that pace that drags you through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that I think, to a certain degree, was in Keeping Secrets when I read it. Oh, I'm definitely. I I I make no apologies for that. Um, and if you could see that, then I'll take that as a win. Um, I just love the fact that you, as an author, your job is 
to get your reader to buy into your story enough so that they make it through to the last page. Um, and he does that in spades, from absolute spades. And uh, I, I, for me, I also think that he uses things that are just familiar enough to give that added believability to his story. So the fact that he uses things like great works of art or fantastic historical locations in his book, he adds that realism, which allows people to buy in, he does. And I make no apologies for the fact that I use some of those same devices. Yeah. Because I think they're really effective and they work. Yeah. I think he lost me in, I can't remember if it was Angels and Demons or the other one, you know, when he jumps out the helicopter with the uh, bomb? Angels and demons, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was the bit where I, I went, yeah, it's not realistic, no. Yeah. <laughs> that was the point where I switched off to this yeah. is believable. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, your sixth book for the library then, Wendy? So, my sixth book. Um, now, this is a, it's, it's an old, um, and it's not very well known, but it's a book called Warpaint by Tom Wakefield. And um, Warpaint is the story of um, during the early 1940s, um, so so during the war years, um, there is a little mining um, and, it, you know, it's one of those places where nothing ever happens. They've, they've lost a lot of them, their men to go off to war. There is um, a, a small internment camp for prisoners of war adjacent to the village. Um, and they're struggling to to make it through with the difficulties of the war, so with rationing and everything, they're struggling with all of that. And suddenly into their lives comes this vision of beauty, Kayra. And she is a school teacher, never seen before. So this woman always wears beautiful silk stockings. She always wears uh, quite heavy makeup. Her hair is always immaculate. Her clothes are couture. Um, and so she stands out like a sofa. She's always doused in Soie de Poirier, which is the, the famous perfume of the day. Um, and she's exceptionally outspoken. She's very forthright. Um, she just doesn't fit this mining village's idea of a woman at all. Um, and so she comes to this village and creates such a stir and the children love her and she becomes the sort of go-to agony aunt for villagers who are having real problems and I mean real quite intimate problems she goes and uh, they're able to talk to her about these things um and she she stands out as I say like a sofa and the story is about the impact that this woman has on the whole of the village and what what it does to relationships and everything else and um the book takes you through all of this and then at the end um there is a spoiler because at the very end you're left with her three favorite friends discussing her. so this was her would-be lover her favorite students and the school's um headmistress um and they talk about and share the impact that she had on their lives and on, on a wider life. And it's during that discussion that what comes out is the best twist I never saw come. It is a phenomenal read. Um, it's a social commentary because of the time that it's set in. Um, it talks about identity, it talks about comfort, it talks about um, stereotyping, 
um, all of those things. It, it's absolutely a beautifully craft. But um, as I say, I'm normally good at spotting twists. I never saw this one, and it completely um, fabulous book. Who is the author? It, the author is Tom Wakefield. Tom Wakefield, that's right. Um, it, I've had I've bought this book four times, and the reason for that is. I keep giving it away and I forget who I've given it to and I have to track down another copy. But you can only get secondhand copies of this when you say it's pretty. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't go to a desert. Well, you know, when we started, when I came up with this idea, the problem I didn't foresee was the books that would be added to my to-be-read pile. <laughs> Yeah. I've read most of yours, but there's there's one added to the pile. So tell me then, what brings you to your seventh book? So number seven, it's my other uh, one of my other nonfiction books. Um, so this is a, it was a very famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen. Um, it's an iconic book written in the late eighties um, by this American and. Um, it sold, I mean, millions, 25 million copies, I would guess. Um, and any decent training and development consultant will have this on their bookshelf because it's just a, a stock. But what I loved about it was I, I remember reading it and getting to the end of it. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish I'd have written this book and made all that money because it is filled with common sense. But it's put in such a way. You know when you know something, yeah. And you know that there's a right way to do it, but you still do it your own way. What this book does is it challenges you as to why you're not doing this that you know you should be doing. Um, it is a great book, not just because it tells you about these things, but it shows you how to adopt them. Um, and uh, it's based, essentially, there's no quick fixes. It talks about behavioural change, but it's based on the seven habits. And the seven habits are be proactive. So, so don't wait for something to happen. Go out and make it happen. Begin with the end in mind that if you don't know where you're going, then your journey will be um, and won't take a direction. Um, put first things first. So, so start with the right, um, you know, start in the right place. Um, think win-win. So any good, um, any good relationship is about winning where you both walk away feeling that you got the best deal possible, not where one person felt them. Um, seek first to understand and then be understood. And, and I don't know, with you in your job, Jim, as, as a teacher, you will have come across this lots. There are people whose job it is to ask questions and they do not link to the answers. They're too busy thinking next question they ask and they miss life's wisdom because they're not listening to answers. And that's what that, that law yeah. is really, um, is if you listen, you'll understand. Synergize, so it's look for the patterns and the connections with things um, and don't just take things at face value. And the last one is sharpen the saw. And the idea is that if, you, if you've if you got a saw and you're going to use it every day, don't keep using it when it's blunt. Yeah. Go out and take the time to sharpen it. And that's the same with, with lifelong learning, really. If you're faced with a task and you haven't got the skill or the knowledge of how to do it, stop what you're doing, go in the skill and, and then you'll be efficient. So it's a set of really simple, straightforward life laws. But if you applied them, would make people's lives so much. Yeah, I, I think uh, having listened to those seven, I'd be inclined to agree with six. 
I'm not sure about having the end in mind. But then I was always oh. a I was always a fan of a roundabout route of doing things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it, it, I'm I'm the sort of person, Wendy, that say I've got to drive somewhere. If I'm going if I'm going on a long journey, say I'm going down to Aberystwyth for the weekend to see friends. Um or I'm go- well, maybe not the weekend, maybe for a, a week or so. I'll I'll have about three or four stops on the journey, and it won't be the, the most direct route. Be, I'll nip there and see that person, and I'll go over there and there's a, there's a, oh there's a lovely bookshop in that village, and then <laughs> and I make a day of the journey because I'm not that worried about the ending. I'd rather enjoy the journey. And and I think that's fine. There's room, you know, there's room for that in in this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's 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 worth a it's worth a stop off just to have a look at it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, great, fantastic suggestion. And I'm, I'm like, I like that you've added some self-help to the Desert Island, Desert Island Library because, come on, if you're stuck on that desert island, you're going to need to sharpen the saw. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because them, them shelters aren't going to themselves. So your eighth book for the Desert Island Library? Then, um, well, I felt a bit, uh, you know, felt a bit awkward about this one because we've only just talked about it uh, That's on fine. a previous show. Um, and it's sweet, sweet revenge. I just couldn't not include it by Jonas Jonasson. Um, and this is the book we talked about recently about this quirky book that talks about um, the guy that sets up a company that um, that will bring about revenge on the people that have wronged you for a fee. Yeah. And um, and I just love this book. And when we talked about it, Jim, you. I think you've got the same vibe as me. Oh. Um, it is just such a fantastic, unbelievable set of coincidences. And yet you find yourself believing and, and going along with the story. And I just think it's beautifully read and it's got some great laughs in it. And I yeah. just thought, yeah, I, I have to include that because it has actually become one of my favourites. Yeah. I, I This weekend, um, my aunt visited and... Um, my grandma was giving her a couple of books to take away to read with her. I said, give her sweet, sweet revenge. Lend her that one. I'll have it back, though, but lend her that one. Because I, I'm with you. I mean, I always think that great authors must have great minds. Yes. Because, you know, what sort of brain comes up with the desk world or all the mischievous, wonderful, fiendish plots that Agatha came up with? Mm. And again, here, I mean, Jonas Jonathan, what a brain. Absolutely. To be able to see all these different strings and bring them together. Yeah. All the way from the Serengeti and the Masai Mara in Sweden. You know, it, it's completely mind-boggling to think, well, how does he make those links? How does yeah. he... Oh, I'm going to write a story and uh, we'll have uh, the Masai Mara. We'll have, I know, we'll have a Masai warrior wandering around Sweden. And it's like... Yeah. Well, why wouldn't that be an obvious thought? Yeah. I mean, I just thought he was fantastic example of escapism. And, yeah. and if you're caught on a desert island, there's, you're going to need a bit of escapism, yeah. aren't you? To take oh. away from the fear of what you're really facing. So yeah. I had to include Sweet Sweet Revenge. And what a brilliant story, because also, I think one of my favourite characters in the book was Ole and Betty and the Younger. Yes. Because that man's view of the world. Yeah. This is um, for those who haven't read the book. Um, this character is the um, the healer, the witch doctor, the 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 
the tribal healer for the Maasai village that he lives in. And he has a brilliant way of looking at the world. Uh, his chief, who he doesn't get on well with, uh, whose name I can't remember, but it's something the world travelled, because uh, he, he went, you know, all the way up to the north end of the valley and back. He so he's the world travelled. Um and the chief would often point out to early and Batty in the uh, well, I should say, when they were children, um, but young boys, uh, but presumably from what we learn after having gained their adult teeth, Ole uh, and Batty in the second, the younger, manages to knock out a few of the chiefs, the future chief's teeth. And whenever they have an argument, and Ole and Batty doesn't get the upper hand, and the chief points out all these things that he's done, he's better at. Ole's response is, and I always point out how many more teeth I have than he does. <laughs> and then that scene, Wendy, when he's in the prison yes. in Sweden and he sells the paintings for a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just such storytelling. Yeah. Such fabulous, fantastical storytelling that you shouldn't really believe on a good day. But you find yourself just wanting to get to the end of the story to say what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you brought that. That is a superb book. So your ninth book then, Wendy, your penultimate. So my penultimate book is my third and last nonfiction. And this is a book called Why Men Don't Listen and Why Women Can't Read Maps. (laughs) And it is by husband and wife team uh, called Alan and Barbara Pease. They're Australian. Um, And this is a book that is based on um, the latest research of the way that the brain works. So it investigates evolutionary biology. Um, It it brings in psychology research. It brings in social change, all of that sort of stuff. And it explores the way that people are wired. Now, the only problem that I have is that they refer to this as a male and female. And whilst there may be some generalisation that makes that hard water, I actually believe that this is just about the way that people's brains are wired. Mm. And I think you get some males with female wired brains and I think you get some females with male wired. But I don't think it's a gender thing. Um, but I can understand why they've written it like that. There, there, is, there is a trend for gender. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not um, a hard and fast rule. No, it's a not trend. hard and fast rule. Um, and... It's the funniest scientific book I've ever read because it it draws out the ludicrous opposites of the way people are. So when I first read this book, um, I I found myself reading it thinking, oh, that's why my other half does this. Oh, my God, that's why I do this. And it was really, really clear, written down, why people who love each other and, and live in the same space and want to spend the rest of the time that they have together actually at times start to hate each other with a passion or they just don't get on and it describes why that is and it is a fascinating book and i remember uh, the first time i read it i wanted to share this so we were at a dinner party and i bought and there were six couples around the time and i bought this book out and i was talking about it and um a good friend of mine picked it up and started to read it and um and it's one of those books you can dip in and out of because there's loads of examples in the yeah. story. and it caused a fight across the dining room 
table with them arguing about one of the scenarios in the book um and it was really funny because they did what they didn't realize was they were they Living were play the acting the very yeah. scenario that they were arguing about they were play acting it in front of us so it's a really really good book and it, it talks about things like why why some men don't multitask why mm. some men have to be focused or why some men think it's their job to solve your problem. Yeah. So as a woman, you may want to just download and have a bit of a moan about your day. You don't need your other half to solve the problem. In fact, it really ticks you off when he tries to. Yeah. So it describes some of that stuff. Um, why men should never lie to women. It's, you know, these are all chapters in this book, scenarios yeah. in this book. Um it also professes to be able to tell people what men and women really want from a partner or from an interaction, from a relationship. Um, the jury's out on how accurate it is, but there is definitely loads of takeaways from it. Um, and the reason I've included it is that I think if you're on a desert island and you've got a couple of other people with you, you're not going to be stranded on your own, so you might be stranded with a couple of other people. You have to know how to get on. Yes. And what I learned from this book is how you get on with other people not by doing what you want to do but by understanding what the other person needs and furnishing them with that yes so that they cooperate and i will absolutely categorically say that i read this book and it made me a better without a shadow of a doubt so um it is a fabulous book really really well worth the read and funny i mean laugh out loud fun. um but yeah definitely um a great book to have on your list yeah i've not read it but i think i would definitely enjoy it we've we've talked how uh, i love anthropology and human development and there's a lot in there you know when you start saying about when my men, why men, some men can't multitask, and I know all the evolutionary reasons for that, but I was I was going to just pick up a point there that it's slightly related. I think you might find this interesting if you don't already know this fact. There's actually a linguistic element to why women can't necessarily read maps as well. Um, yes, there is a certain degree of the way that our brains have developed and the tasks that evolutionarily we have fulfilled that and gives us different skills however we in our language aren't great at directions mm-hmm. but in um australia a lot of the aboriginal tribes and on some of the pacific islands the people that live there don't have left and right mm. it doesn't exist in their language they have no concept of left and right. So the way they differentiate the position of stuff is by compass points. So they would say, oh, could you hand me the North Fork? Mm. Could you pass the um, book that's to the east of the jug? Because they'd see where it is. They And because they grow up doing this, they are always aware of where North, East and South and West are. But that's linked with their spatial awareness, isn't it? Yeah, because because they grow up and their their linguistic development is all about direction and orientation, yeah. Yeah. it develops their spatial awareness. And to the point where actually in one of the languages, they wouldn't even say, I was walking down the road. They were northing. Mm. And the, the the verb to walk actually has a different verb for walking north as to walking south. So that 
within their language of how they move even has that direction built into it. So it's so fundamental to who they are. They're always aware of direction and orientation. And You're going to have to get this book because I think that you would absolutely love it. Yes. Because of that anthropological interest you have. Yes. I, I think there are elements I already know. I, I think I definitely have. I'm going to note the name of the book down. But um, th there's also um, stuff that I'm sure I'd learn from it. So, yes. I'll, well, I was I'll thinking about this when I was doing it today, and it, a thought occurred to me. And this is what I love about, you know, when I said to you, I love books that, where I learn some. When I was looking at this today, I thought to myself, I wonder if this is the reason why most men hate grocery shopping, but you can always get them to go to the butcher's. I mean, I have no idea, but it, that was just a little thought that popped into my head. And it's that hunter-gatherer thing, you know. And I just thought, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, um, yeah. then uh, why men don't listen and why women can't read maps is a great book. I, sh I shall look it up. Superb. Right. Well, that brings us to your final book. It does. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm filled with anticipation. Because there are a couple of authors I expected to make the final slot, and they're not there yet. Um, we've they, already had them. We've already had them, rather. And, so, they, and they won't be, because this is, I've saved my very, very favourite book until last. Um, and it's a book called Mr Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. I don't know whether you've ever come across this. I book. haven't. I'm writing it down now. It's, it's by Robin Sloan, and it is, um, it's a fantasy book. Um, about uh, a guy who had a very traditional job and for one reason or another ends up without that job and the only job he can get is to work in this bookstore, this very unusual bookstore. Um, the characters are rich and complex, the setting is magic, very evocative. <coughs> the description of the inside of the bookstore is just phenomenal. It's got a fabulous plot. There are some very creative devices that, are, um, that he uses to stretch your mind so that you will accept unbelievability as believable. Um, he blends technology with old world magic. And the reason I've included, I'm not going to give you anything about the story, but what I am going to say is it's the only book I've ever read where I genuinely thought this book was written specifically else. Wow. It is a phenomenal, not very big, it's only a thin little book, um, but it is absolutely phenomenal. And I remember, I remember how I felt at every stage of reading. I remember the emotion that it created in, I remember the pictures in my head it created, I remember that feeling of familiarity. It was a joy to read from the first word, last letter. It was absolutely wow. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost speechless because that is the highest praise I've ever heard given to a book. I mean, to feel a book is individually written for you and yeah. it's really well, that well written. Yeah, I, and it's, I mean, it's one of those books that you would, I, I don't, whenever I mention it, I've never, I've, I don't know who else has read it. Perhaps it really was written for me and I'm the only one that's ever read it. <laughs> but um, I've never, you know, it, it wasn't on any bestseller list or whatever. I came across it quite by accident. Um, uh, it was one of those little adverts that pops up that says, oh, if you've read this, you might want to buy this. Um, so I, I bought it, and oh, goodness me. 
it was the best so yeah it is my it's my delicious guilty secret which i only pull out occasionally but if i, I tell you what jim if i'm feeling down or if i'm feeling i'm struggling i go to that book and i can open it at any page and i can start to read two literally within two pages my mood is it's just wow fabulous, fabulous. well fantastic now what an amazing 10 books as the first books now there's Alan library you know that that's brilliant I mean, and you've got a real spectrum there, Wendy. You've included books across different genres, different fields. And, you know, I think for me, when thinking about being cast away on a desert island and only having 10 books to read for the rest of my life, I mean, I'd have to take some paper and pen and try and make some new ones. Yeah. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And if I was cast away on an island, I'd hope you'd be there as well as we could write for each other. But, (laughs) I mean, yeah, those 10 books, to be able... To have that variety and, you know, I know for a fact from some of those that I've read, they are books you can revisit and revisit and revisit and not tire of. Um, certainly the Pratchett and the Christie, you know, I've read both of those several times. Yeah, I'm nice. Well, thank you very much. Our first Desert Island Castaway. Well, thank you um, for asking me to be the first. And um, and and I'm just going to say, I hope it's you next time. Because I have to tell you, the idea of getting 10 books out of everything that I've ever read was nightmarish. And I started off with a long list of 60 this morning. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, tough, uh, it's a tough gig to do. Well, I tell you what, in fairness to you, I I will take the gauntlet up next. The next edition of this, you can interview me about my favourite ten. That sounds brilliant. Okay, I will whittle the th- thousands in my head down to ten, and uh, and from there we'll do this program again. Um, and until next week, good reading. Yeah, happy reading. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.